Welcome to episode 330 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus, to be joined shortly by Nate Mavis in Melrose, Massachusetts, and by today's guest, Jane Hitchcock, who is in Washington, D.C. If you play poker tournaments in the Mid-Atlantic, you probably know Jane Hitchcock, uh, she is everyone's friend. She is a staple of the Mid-Atlantic poker tournament scene. I've run into her in Baltimore, in D.C., in Atlantic City, uh, and she is always a delight to encounter. Um, we look forward to sharing our interview with her with you. Uh, she also just wrote a book called Bluff, uh, which is a murder mystery. Um, drawn from events in her own life. I won't say a lot more about it than that because uh, she'll give you the details more compellingly than I can, but uh, it is broadly poker-themed and has uh, received tremendous accolades, including winning the Dashiell Hammett Award, which, uh, again, she'll talk a little bit more about the significance of that award for folks who don't know. But uh, just a, a tremendous and vivacious woman, and I uh, really look forward to sharing this interview with you. Just a quick announcement before we get to that, uh, which is that Play Optimal Poker 2 is now available, and if you haven't yet read the original Play Optimal Poker, it is now deeply discounted in ebook form. Uh, you can get both of those either at Amazon.com or for uh, ebooks only, www.nitcast.com, N-I-T-C-A-S-T.com. We'll actually be talking strategy with Jane, uh, like many other people. She is uh, social distancing and not playing in public uh, live card games or card rooms, uh, but has been playing on an app and playing some uh, mixed games with which she is less familiar. So uh, we've got some discussion about PLO8, uh, some strategy discussion of PLO8 coming up in this interview as well. Please enjoy. Pleasure to meet you. Hi, Nate. How are you? Sorry. I'm just wonderful. I'm just wonderful. How are you this evening? Excellent. Thank you very much. As excellent as anybody can be in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just wild. It's just wild. I. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, and you're in New York City, correct? No, no. I'm in D.C. Where are you guys? Uh, I'm in Melrose, Mass. Andrew, you on yet? Uh, yeah, you guys. I, I've been on, actually. My, my mic was muted. Um, I am in Owings Mills, uh, just north of Baltimore. May I say my first boyfriend was from Owings Mills, Maryland. Was he really? Uh, 
He was. His I, name I was William William Thorn Kissel the Third. Does this give you an idea? <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I, I don't mean to date you, but but Owings Mills was a very different place, I think, in that uh, in that era. <laughs> Well, I mean, aside from the horses and buggies, I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> and the bustles, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. If, if he's listening to the show, please write in. Please write in. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> How long is this show, Andrew, dear? And um, we would, we would ideally take about an hour of your time. Whoa. Or I would take an hour of yours. Let's see which way it goes. <laughs> Let's see who wins. What are the odds? <laughs> um and i've actually already started recording mostly just so i don't forget but um if you're comfortable i i I would kind of enjoy including that little uh that little intro we just had there oh sure absolutely andrew you you know me i mean you used to you used to quote me verbatim on twitter (laughs) but it seemed like that was making you uncomfortable so i I stopped doing it Well, it was very sweet because I just hated looking at myself and saying, do I sound as stupid as certain people on Twitter who shall be nameless during this pandemic? I won't mention their names. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I probably just shouldn't have tagged you. You never even would have known it was happening. I never know what's happening anyway, darling. I'm old. (laughs) 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 I'm a Luddite. Okay. Candle and a quill. That is my generation. Okay. Your, your your Skype is actually more sophisticated than mine is. I don't have an image set on mine, uh, and you've got uh, this picture of your of your book here. Really? Yeah. How awesome! I don't know what's happening. I have this phone that I just wish it could finish my next book for me. It can almost do everything else. So <laughs> yeah. Well, let me back up a second, and I'll introduce you to to Nate and, and to the audience as well. Um, I mean, I've told I've told Nate a little bit about you, but um, it, Jane, I would say, is sort of the um, the, the the shining light of the East Coast tournament poker scene. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I think I mean I, like the the room the room lights up when you enter the room. I, I think there is um, even even the the most disparate people in, in the poker scene. Everyone likes Jane Hitchcock. I, do you have enemies? I hope so. <laughs> I suppose you, you've known, just finished writing a book. One is known by one's enemies dying. And also, I'm half Irish and half Lebanese, and I have a grudge list. And if someone should die or fall off it, I move someone right up onto it. So, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I hope my enemies are, you know, keep your friends closer, your enemies closer, and... Um, you know, I just, I love my poker friends. My poker friends, as if you could see from my book, Bluff, are the real heroes of my life. Uh, they stuck with me when my snooty society friends didn't. And Andrew, I have to give you props for being the best teacher ever, making everything accessible even though I know that you deal in poker theory, which is beyond rocket science, but you are an awesome teacher because you know how to judge your audience. You took one look at me and said, I better keep it simple, folks, for this one. (laughs) I I accept your props, but I have to say... um, I, I really don't advise you telling people that we've we've worked together because if I could uh, exchange bodies with you and walk into a <laughs> poker room, the, the assumptions that people would make and the the gap between what you're capable of and, and what people are assuming about you, uh, I would just I, I would want to milk every uh, well, every dollar you know, out of that. I hate to say this, but you are not the fr- you know Will the Thrill. Uh huh. 
Will Fiella, who's a world-class poker player, or he was anyway, he said, "If only, if only I could be you for one <laughs> one minute, because it is. I mean, I really, you know, everybody thinks I'm going to play. Oh, you know, I'm 73 years old. Let me just put it right out there. It's on Wiki. Um, but everybody thinks I'm going to play. You look a day over 50. Oh, thank you, darling. I thought 14, <laughs> but anyway. So everybody thinks that I'm going to play. You know. Uh, ace king ace queen you know only the the tried and true old lady poker hands but what they don't know is that i was schooled in one of the roughest toughest uh poker games in dc the last illegal game in 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 dc the dub and um <laughs> it's closed now it got held up at gunpoint but um i learned to play poker I mean, I started, as I say in the book, uh, which is fiction, by the way, because I do shoot someone in the first scene who then dies. But, um, I guess you, you do know, have that Yeah, I, I started, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah, Not this anymore. book is my life. <laughs> this, is, this book is my life, actually, yeah, if you I, take I, I away the murder. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, I started playing with, you know, very uh, sort of the elite of 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 dc and uh then i got to a point where i really needed the fix of playing poker every day and they said to me you know don't go to this place alone well i'm sorry but you know i promised i wouldn't but poker players lie and so i would <laughs> climb three flights of a rusting fire escape and the little yellow light was like Gatsby's light, green light on the dock. <laughs> and I played with, you know, people who were sort of, uh, I mean, there were some really dicey people there. And I loved them all. And they were so nice to me. And that's, and people were making their living. And so that's where I learned to play like street poker, which isn't great for tournaments, but it was good for a while making money. And so... Um, when when was this? Like, what year are we talking um, about? Oh, my God. This was so... I started playing uh, poker... Um, see, on, I was playing online for a long time. But online, I was uh, not uh, an old bat in furry slippers. <laughs> online... I was like this tostas. I was like Buffalo Bill 85. I've styled myself as like a 22-year-old out-of-work construction worker who was like mad, bad, and dangerous to know. And I would ask my husband, what can I say about sports? You know, what can I, how can I, you know, how can I write in the, you know, in the chat line, you know, well, you know, what's RJ doing? I don't know, RG3 doing, uh, you know, at this point. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so, you know, I was kind of fearsome online. And then, you know, I logged on for it. I actually beat Phil Helmuth in a tournament on Ultimate Bet, and he still owes me a tournament, but that site closed. But anyway, so, uh, so anyway, one day I logged on to a tournament, and it was, you know, black... Friday, you know, uh, when they closed down all of online poker due to banking regulations. And so then I had to play live poker. And I thought the first time I played live poker, I said, oh, my God, they're going to see me for who I really am. This is like a nightmare. And I, I remember dressing for the occasion. What would I wear? I wore a leather jacket thinking that would help. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it really didn't. <laughs> 
at that at that game where uh, it, it was a friend of mine's um, uh, uh, sort of friend's house, and it was my first live poker game ever. And after the game, a man came up to me and said, "Listen," he said, "I watched you play." You have no idea what you're doing, but you have great card sense. I'll give you three lessons, and and then uh, I tell you, I took them, and a month later, I beat him in a tournament at uh, Hollywood Casino. <laughs> so I had some talent, and then I had oodles of beginning uh, beginner's luck, and I thought, oh my God, you know, it's this game is so easy. What is everybody <laughs> complaining about? <laughs> I, I need I need to complete my full house. I'd like a three to fall on the river, and a three would fall. And then suddenly, it all went to hell. And that's when I knew I needed Andrew <laughs> to help me. <laughs> and so and and then I wrote a book um, called Bluff, which is about my life and poker, and it's kind of framed as a big poker hand, but it's a really wild ride through. Uh, through my various poker lives, as well as being, as well as my own life, because my family was swindled out of great for it, forty million dollars, and I put the guy in jail. Whoa, that, that's yeah. a bad beat. <laughs> you know, but you know, it's not so bad because you really learn a lot. And you know, my stepfather used to say, "Anything you can buy with money is cheap." And, and he's kind of right. And when you look around what's going on today, you know, uh, money is a matter of luck and class is a matter of character. And I see more character in America today facing this. I mean, I'm so, like, moved by the times we're living in and so humble in the face of what people are going through and speaking up about. And I just feel very honored to be um, part of this part of history as long as we do something about it <laughs> what um i mean with can you without spoiling the book uh sort of give us the the outline of the the swindle without ruin the book um the the outline of the swindle is that she um it's a bluff but you don't in the uh, she maud my character mad Maud. um she uh shoots somebody in at the Four Seasons restaurant. She shoots one of the most powerful men in the country at the Four Seasons restaurant. She goes on the lam. She goes back to Washington and goes underground with her poker buddies. And uh, then the rest of it plays out as to who she shot, uh, why, why he's such a great man, his double life that she has exposed in the shooting. Um, and it's just a very twisty kind of Agatha Christie. I mean, um, I, I won, I have to brag on myself a little bit, I won a very distinguished mystery prize called the Hammett, Dashiell Hammett Prize. Oh, uh, whoa. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> and they called me a combination of Dorothy Parker and Agatha Christie. And I mean, and when you consider who's won this prize, everybody from, you know, kind of, Stephen King to um, Walter Mosley to um, Michael Connelly. I mean, it's really, a, I'm so honored to have won this prize. Um, and it's just a very twisty mystery. If you like twisty mysteries, this would be, Bluff would be the book for you. Seriously. It's fun. People love it. Even even guys. Even my <laughs> guy friends love it. 
<laughs> I, I want to come back to that comment in a second, but uh, yeah. c- can you talk about the the um, well the the forty million dollar bad beat? So I mean, um, calling it a bad beat is, is it, obviously it's a, actually, very trivial. It's, it, but. it's a famous case. Um, my um, mother, who was the first Lois Lane on radio, had an accountant called Kenneth Ira Starr, and um, in, you know she inherited a vast amount of money in 1987 from my uh, stepfather, and I uh, went around, uh, when I found out that, that, that Ken was really, I was very suspicious of Ken. Uh, stealing money from my mom. She wouldn't listen to me. It's a long story. We had addiction in our family. My two brothers died of drugs. I mean, money, honestly, is so overrated when you think about it. Um, and, and it and it touches many, many people in different ways. And it was Ken's sort of way in to really bilk our family. And I, um, she eventually sued. I went to the district attorney in private, but they couldn't really do anything and I, my mother eventually sued him, and we settled. And when I left the DA's office, I said, but this was the Manhattan DA. And when I left his office, I said, you can't do anything but what they do to one, they will do to another. And lo and behold, in 2009, he actually uh, stole a million dollars from Uma Thurman. And he, ha- uh, my, mother had intro- my mother and stepfather had introduced him to everybody from like Neil Simon to Mike Nichols to Barbara Walters because I kind of grew up in that very um, sort of star-studded atmosphere. I used to say I was the, at parties I was the only person there I didn't know. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so she, after having introduced him to everybody, he just incredibly betrayed her. And... Um, and so they used my case to understand basically what he had done. And I was very happy to sit with Art Buckwald's children at the, um, sent, uh, when Ken was sentenced to seven years in prison. And I was very happy about that because he was a terrible man. And, and the book deals with all of that. So Congratulations on getting your justice and congratulations on... Uh on, on turning that into an award-winning novel. You know, writers, just just be careful if you if you betray us because we <laughs> always have that final <laughs> that final pen, that final sword. Uh, yeah, and it took nine years to write it. It was that painful because the book is is funny and it's twisty and it's and everything. But because I can't stand self pity in in writing, you know, you really reveal yourself when you write and. So I had to get the tone just right, and uh, the only way to do this was kind of uh, as a mystery and as a bluff, and to keep everybody guessing because you will never guess the ending. <laughs> you just won't. You're going to say, "How does she get out of this?" So hopefully, anyway, I hope people like it, and if not, <laughs> they can just play poker like I do. <laughs> I think you answered my question, but I want to ask it anyway, which is yeah. uh, a lot of people find it very easy to write about themselves, um, but hard to keep writing about themselves and impossible to write well about themselves. Like how, how, how do you balance um, the cathartic or, or self-examinatory uh, um, elements of what you do with the fact that you'd also, you know, like to write something good? <laughs> Well, you know, it's a really great question because people 
always come up and say, you know, I have a great story and everything. It. I just want to say this. It took me 19 drafts to write this thing. 19. And it was turned down by every single publisher. And actually, I can tell you a pretty good poker story. So finally, uh, Barbara Peters of the Poison Pen Press, who has, I've written six other books, and she's been a, a fan of mine. I sent her the book, and she loved it. And so she said, well, I'm going to publish it. Um, so it, it just had been turned down by everybody. And so I wasn't happy with it, to be honest. I, I really wasn't. I, I went to a poker tournament in Borgata. And it was a very big tournament. And I was really doing well. I mean, it was like a $3,500 buy-in, which is a pretty big, a big buy-in. Mm -hmm. I was just doing fantastically well. And I made the classic error, which is, you know, uh, I had ace-king, and I thought this has to be good because an ace is on the board. Never realizing that, you know, there was also a queen on the board. And even though... The guy hadn't re-raised me, which maybe would have indicated he had queens. He was a pro. Anyway, long story short, he had ace-queen. I lost a I lost my advantage, totally. I lost a huge amount of money. And I was so, I mean, chips. And so I was so upset that I literally got in my car at 1 o'clock in the morning. Because, you know, for me to be in this kind of a tournament against these pros and to have been winning was so great. I was so upset with myself, I, I, I went home, I drove home three hours to D.C., I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, and in four days, my husband stood bringing me tea and probably other hard stuff, and I rewrote that book in four days, and that's the book that you read today, and it was completely redone, and... Um, and it kind of came from a catharsis because I'd written so many drafts of it. Um, but people think that it, it's all going to come pretty easily, you know, and it's just not. Tolstoy said, you know, when people tell me they have a story they want to write, he said, oh, do you have a violin you want to go home and play? I mean, it, it really, really takes an, an amazing amount of 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 effort. And I was a playwright before that. And some sometimes you just get a gift. Sometimes, you know, like when I wrote my first screenplay, I sat down in three days and I wrote it. I wrote my play Vanilla, which was uh, uh, done in London, directed by Harold Pinter. I did that in three days. But that was, that was a gift. And novel writing is very different. And I haven't had a gift since. And with this whole pandemic, I can't concentrate on anything. I can barely, you know, go from the bedroom to the kitchen to eat breakfast. And like mm -hmm. that. I'm in, I'm in a complete fog 90% of the time. So, I am what playing is, online poker, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is what does your writing setup look like, just mechanically? Like, what, 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 what are your tools? So, um, you know, I grew up on the typewriter, right? So, <laughs> um, and in, in many ways, the typewriter makes things... Uh, difficult but because you you can't change as much very easily you know what i mean on yep. i now write on a computer and if i don't like something i can just move whole swaths of dialogue or whole swaths of of prose just anywhere i want to and that is also 
you know, you, you are lulled into a false sense that because you can do this so easily, it, it, sometimes it's just better to be hunting and pecking on your typewriter and it's slow and then you have drafts of it that you actually physically have to read. So very often I will I sit in my office, I have a computer, and what, I'm, what I try to do is always print out a chapter. But the worst thing you can do is like go back. You have to just plow forward. And if you keep going back and revising the same thing, you can just revise the first sentence for the, for the next 10 years. I mean, you know, because nothing is perfect. But it's getting through the whole thing, which is important. Like you want to, it's like you have a sculpture of marble and you just want to kind of chip out the outlines of what, you're, of what you're writing about. And then you can go back once you have that huge body of stuff and you can you can define it and do the details. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever wanted to write about yourself or about anything in a, in the long form, like in a novel or? Uh, I mean, I've I've written about myself at 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 very great length, but that's because I keep a journal and and do things like that. I I've, I've never attempted to write a novel about myself. Um, I've I've so I do write a lot about myself, but I can't imagine ever like sort of publishing any of it it's 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 stuff i do really to get it out of my head so i can live like a functioning life because <laughs> like um uh, it's to it's it, it's it's like meditation but it works better for me so um like it, that's, it's a that's catharsis for sure yeah. it, it, there's yeah. a lot of sadness that you can you can put on the page but let me ask you this when you when you write are you honest yes you are. Yes. I could never write an honest journal. Oh, I will confess that ever. Mm. <laughs> well, they say they say all bad poetry is sincere. Uh, I think there's a reason you're the you 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 you're, you're the Dashiell Hammett winner, and uh, you know I, I'm a software engineer. So. <laughs> well, you just haven't tried. I mean, that's the thing. That's a, you know, if you tried, it was it probably uh, contains a lot of fascinating stuff. But you have to want to try. You know, I am a writer. I, you just kind of know you are. And, and I've known that for a really long time. Yeah. yeah. How, did, so, how did you figure that out? Like, what, what was the... Uh, how did you know you were a writer? So, yeah, I was really, like, depressed when I was 11 years old. <laughs> and, um, and writing... I, I, I remember writing my first short story. Uh, it was called The Big Yellow Bow Wow about a lion who escapes from the zoo and is be and I befriend it and it was kind of crazy fiction um, but I know that writing kind of eased whatever was going on in my life which I had just a completely crazy household to deal with which I will not go into but if you read the book you'll kind of see um, and so writing was very I wouldn't say cathartic at that point, but it was very soothing to just write and and painting too. I did I did some painting too, but writing somehow uh, took over. It it just kind of takes over. You just kind of know if you're a writer, unfortunately, because if I could have done anything else, I would have. <laughs> yeah. What was the um? Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I want to ask you this before I wanted to come back to it. So you, you, you made a sort of offhand comment. I, I mean, I think I know what you meant by it when you said, you know, like, uh, even my male friends like the book or, or, yeah. or something along those lines. Um, and it, I mean, 
I guess mystery, uh, or like genre fiction in, in general, I guess, but like mystery and romance um, sort of have that uh, stigma or, or, or reputation around them or whatever, that that's sort of like women's literature and maybe taken less seriously for that uh, for that reason. Is that sort of what you were? I don't know if it, I think it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if it's taken less seriously, but I think that... Um, for me, I write uh, social novels, which take place pretty much in high society. Um, you know, I wrote social crimes, and I write about the rich because, you know, here's the thing. That's a world that I knew, you know? And what I think about it, about it is this, is money exaggerates who you are, you know? If you're good, you're going to be better, and if you're bad, you're going to jump right down on the devil's trampoline. And I'll tell you something. When I see some of my rich and social friends who are, you know, they're, they're really not the loyalist group in the world, I'd say. And there's a lot of competition where you wouldn't think it was necessary. And people have odd time on their hands. They are more competitive than the Olympics in a way. And so having grown up and seen all this, I thought, well, you know, let me write about it. And so I wrote Social Crimes. I mean, I wrote a lot before that, but, you know, Social Crimes became kind of a big bestseller. Because it's when you lose your, you know, when you're in New York, the great seal of New York is, you know, out of money, out of mind. And New York is about money. When I moved to Washington with my darling husband, who's won two Pulitzers, you know, I, I sort of entered an arena of politics. It was a sort of different thing. But as I've been here for the last 20 years, I noticed that money and politics and celebrity have all become one big stew. And so, you know, it, it, writers are really up against it because look at reality today. And then you tell me it's easy to write fiction. You cannot make this stuff up. You just can't. And I try. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, and knowing you're a writer is something you know, like you know you're a musician or you know you're a great poker player or you, you just know it or a great software engineer you you just know it you, it's in your dna you can probably look at something uh, as, as an engineer and, and and understand it in a way that i never would be able to understand it because you you didn't even get a lesson in it you just kind of knew it mm. you know yeah and i i suppose writing what you know and and coming sort of from uh, a place of having this thing that was just a part of you uh, that fits well with the fact that everything's crazy now. I, I imagine people who try to just ride the waves and 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 you know lick their finger and stick it up in the wind and write whatever novel they think will be popular these days. Those people are probably having a really hard time. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they are. But uh, there was a very famous. Uh, popular writer called Jacqueline Suzanne. I don't know. She wrote Valley of the Dolls. I don't even know whether oh, yeah, you yeah. guys have even heard of that. I, I've, I've heard of it. I, I couldn't have told you the author. And now, Erwin Shaw was a friend of my parents. He was a wonderful writer. He, 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 was, he wrote uh, The Young Lion, Rich Man, Poor Man, and everything. And Erwin once said to me, listen, Jacqueline Suzanne thought she was writing Moby Dick. Okay? So, if you set out to write a bestseller, you you really can't do it. The people who write the great bestsellers, they really, really feel it 
You know what I mean? The romance writers, they feel this fiction if it's any good. You know what I mean? And it, 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 it might not be what people consider to be, oh, great literature, but they are 100% behind it. Believe me. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to sit down and write a bestseller and then read 20 bestsellers and say, well, I'm going to... You have to feel it. You have, it's just like with anything. It's like feeling something at a poker table, you know? You just feel it. It's called talent. <laughs> so yeah, uh, p- poker might just be the, the answer to this to this question. But um, I mean, it, it seems like you're just. I mean, to hear you talk about like society, um, you yeah. seem very like disillusioned with it. It it does seem like you're still sort of a, a, a part of it, or haven't. Um, am, am, am I wrong about that? Or I mean, are, are you still sort of in that world? Is well, I. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I grew up with a lot of friends who are, you know, sort of social. But is anybody a part of any world now? I haven't been out in three months. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, where is the world? Where yeah. is the world? I mean, Edgar Allan Poe wrote the best short story called The Mask of Red Death, you know. And this is what we're living. It's about, a, you know, a party in the Prince Prospero's famous estate you know and he's everybody's in their mask and everything and at the 12 o'clock everybody unmasks and guess who's there death <laughs> so this is edgar Allan poe uh you know 100 years you know all these things were more important once you know you had you sort of had social life and you had celebrity life and you had uh, sort of political life and they all are fungible now you know what i mean i all of the YouTube and Twitter and anybody can become a star overnight. It's, it's just a completely, if you have an opinion uh, about anything, I mean, if you think the sky is green, believe me, you can find 50 websites that will tell you you're absolutely correct. And so, you know, reality is a collective hunch and it's not even collective anymore. It's what you think. So it's very different world. Very different. I just am a little more, uh, disciplined in my writing which is i like a good story i like a good tale um am i part of society um my i i mean i had one brilliant friend who i miss to this day and um when she died i said well there's really no society left and that was jacqueline onassis and i spoke at her funeral and so I, I think I've seen the best of society, and I don't know as if my society even exists anymore. I think society has to be who you like and who you respect, and it's just a different, there's no, there, is, there are no, very few levels anymore. I mean, you guys are my society now, my high society. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's what I was wondering, I, I, is whether poker just, just took over that, uh, that role in your life, or if poker was sort of your, your escape. It, it was it was more than an escape. It it just taught me about life, you know. It really did. I mean, it's a it's a it's a really life lesson, which I try to give little things in the book. You know, the greatest thing you learn about poker is that your greatest enemy at the poker table is who yourself. Oh, yourself. <laughs> no question. You make the same mistakes you make at the poker table in life, and the greatest lesson you can learn from poker is next hand. 
if you dwell constantly on what you did wrong or what they did wrong, whatever, you just next hand, you know, don't even think about it. I mean, I was on tilt so much when I started playing poker. I thought I was the fucking leaning tower of Pisa, pardon <laughs> all. But I mean, <laughs> um, I, I, I really learned so much. And I learned so much from the players that I played with, many of whom were up against severe economic and social issues. And to a man and a woman, they were great to me. They embraced me. And I just have, I just, it just opened a new world to me, which I'm very grateful for. What can I say? And, uh, and you've been playing since, like, before, before smartphones. In my mind, there's, there's poker before smartphones and poker after smartphones. And you've been playing since before smartphones, yes? Oh, yeah. But why do you say that? Because I don't play poker on my phone. Yeah, but at the table, people used to have no choice but to talk to each other or pointedly oh, not talk to each other. That's absolutely right. You know, of course, I didn't even twig on that, but you're absolutely right. And everybody always says at the table, what did we do before before smartphone? Yeah, yeah, yeah you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, it's a different thing, you know? Uh, Com completely, completely. Yeah. That people actually read books sometimes, maybe. What do you think at the table? Or oh yeah, I mean I did. I saw other people doing it. I mean usually there were textbooks, and and the final was the next day. Uh, but I mean not me, but, but like the people I saw. Uh, yeah, no, people would read. People would. Yeah, you know, nothing to do. Say the same jokes over and over again. Rehash the hands. Talk to each other. But it's like very interesting. People who had no reason to like each other, uh, uh, except for poker. You know, they found they found things to talk about for you know. 12, 16 hours at a time. Absolutely. There was a camaraderie, you know, and, you know, poker is its own moral universe because let's face it, you know, lying is called bluffing. Um, you, 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 it's an, it's an appearance of openness, but actually everybody's hiding something at all. Time. <laughs> and so it's, it's a very contained world and it allows you to be intimate uh, without being intimate, if that makes any sense. It allows yeah. you to, you know, as you say very smartly, you strike up a conversation, you get to know somebody, and then chances are you'll never see them again. And that, and that, or if you do, you know, maybe you'll become friends, maybe you won't. But sometimes people will be in deep in conversation, and then I'll turn to, someone will get up to the table, and I'll say, well, who was that? And he said, I don't know. You know, but, you, but yes, but you've been talking to him for like five hours, so I don't know. It's a very strange world, but I love it, and I miss it, and don't you guys miss it? No, oh, tons, tons. Talking to you, you talking to you is making me miss it. Like, literally, oh, as, as, we're, uh, as we're speaking now, I'm, like, feeling the, the itch in a way that I have not. Oh, you're so adorable. Yelson, we never would have met. That's true. I mean, you know, and, and that was one of the highlights, Andrew. I remember. We were, remember when we went to that, what is, what, what, we were eating at, where were we? We were at Maryland Live in that food court. Yeah, before the food court was actually open. So we just went over there. It was, like, before a tournament. I think there was a tournament starting at 11, and we met. We met up at like nine, and the the you know there was maybe like one place open in the food court, and most of the chairs were like still up on the tables, and we just like sat over there and talked uh, poker strategy. Yeah, a lot of my favorite but, poker memories. I yeah, remember. but you you were so patient. You you were so patient with me because I I sort of you know 
I know from other people, you know, you always want to go to the best, you know, and everybody said, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. So, you know, I went to you because I thought, well, you're the best. But then I thought it was going to be very, um, very uh, sort of complicated and everything. And you took one look at me, I swear to God, and you said, I cannot make it complicated for this woman. I have to really just give her the A, B, C. You gave me three pointers, and honestly, they helped me no end. I think I, 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 think I really played better uh, for a long time, and then I forgot and played bad. I mean, there's a good Jane and a bad Jane, and sometimes I'm good and sometimes I'm bad. I forgot about good Jane uh, and bad Jane. <laughs> I have to tell you that one of my poker buddies who loves you and who I think you've tutored in depth, he says to me all the time when, when I open light or something and he finds out about it, he said, now what would Andrew say about that? Is <laughs> 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 ace, ace seven in first position? No, Jane, that, that's not good. <laughs> so anyway, it was so fun. Speaking of which, I, I think Nan will be okay with me springing this on him. Uh, Jane told me this morning she's been playing on an, an online game um, where they're, they're playing a mix, and she was not terribly familiar with some of the games that, that she was playing, so I offered that we might be able to um, to offer her a few pointers. It was, what, the Study 8 five-card... Was it just five-card draw? You could just tell us the games. No, it, it's, it's one round of Hold'em, which I, you know, sometimes do pretty well in it's one round of PLO 8 oh, and one mm. and one round of big O now yeah. let me say <laughs> it's hell but it's so fun yeah yeah I, I've I've played hundreds of thousands of hands maybe let's say hundreds of thousands of, of PLO 8 in, in my life and uh, and no small amount of big O either so, um, so yes okay Spill it. <laughs> uh, so you've yeah, got ten minutes. To, How do you win a PLO eight? <laughs> yeah. Well, try you to come spoof. over try. here and we could play together, and I wouldn't say it was you. <laughs> hey, <laughs> sure. I mean, I'll, I'll sit six feet apart with a mask. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, can you give me like Andrew gave me some real general pointers, please? Yeah. So I mean, try to win the whole pot, um, and. And uh, put yourself in a position where you're not guessing whether you should try to play on for half the pot. Hmm. Um, so if you're opening or, or calling a raise with a hand, it should be some hand that has a chance to get the whole thing, whether that's a two-way hand or a very, very good high hand that could scoop the pot if, if there's no low on the board. Right. Yeah. Um, and... Also, one important skill, so that's like the first basic thing. A second basic thing about the game that a lot of people, myself included, have trouble with is knowing when you have to have the nuts and when you don't have to have the nuts. So if five people are playing for a limp, let's say, and the board uh, has a possible low but no ace or deuce on it, you're probably going to need ace-deuce to get the low and right. indeed you might only get the quarter of the pot but if you're playing say like let's say the cutoff raises and the big blind calls uh, then the board comes down you know like 
a something 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 and a low is possible you probably don't need the deuce three to get the low maybe you do but that's a case where like the nuts clearly like the second nuts is clearly still like pretty good if you're trying to get the low um but you can get quartered a lot by concentrating on the low that's what i know yes. that's what i learned yes. right yes yes absolutely which is why you have to play for the whole pot which is why you have to play for the whole pot um but in those situations but like part of what playing for the whole pot is is realizing when that dusty low you have could actually be good and when it's probably not good and that's a matter of how many players are in the pot and what 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 the board texture is like right um but so, it's a hellish game. Most people have the nuts when they are. Most people are dividing those pots, as I see in this in this game, at least. That's right. Like 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 when they're when they're betting and so okay. So that's good. So that's good. So what what would make it the case that people are chopping up a lot of the pots? That would suggest either a that there's not a lot of aggressive betting and bluffing after the pot, so people aren't getting driven out. Right. Um, and that a lot of people are seeing the flop. So that can actually be a really good sign. Like, if a lot of the pots, like, more, if, like, really almost every pot or lots and lots of pots are getting chopped up, then, like, that's, like, a, a pretty good sign about the game. Maybe people aren't bluffing enough, and maybe too many people are seeing the flop in the first place. That would suggest that you have an opportunity to uh, turn a profit by playing tighter than everybody else before the flop. And you also may have a, a, a chance to turn a profit by folding a little bit extra to, to people's bets because there's probably not a lot of bluffing. That's very general, but um, it's something you can say about the game. It's that you know if too many pots are getting chopped up, maybe there's a lot of loose play. There are two people who... I think are very loose and they either win but big or they lose a ton mm -hmm. but uh, one of them is just a consistent winner for the very reason that you say he falls a lot when he knows he's not going to win the whole pot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know I, I, I mean but it's do you find it to be a really swingy I mean is, is it better to start off with two low cards and two high cards and just work that way or uh so that's that's good that's um those can be trap hands so what when you have two low cards and two high cards sometimes that means that you have like a bad low hand and a bad high hand one nice heuristic is like ask yourself if you would play the hand in pot limit omaha and if it's a really bad hand in pot limit omaha then that means like you're going to have a hard time winning the high half of the pot. But guess what? There's always a high half of the pot. There's not always a low half of the pot. So right. like a hand like king, queen, three, deuce, that can look pretty good if you're feeling optimistic, but it's actually complete garbage because right. like, you're almost, right. because right. it's like, yeah. Right. Um, someone's so going to have the ace and someone's going to have the one ace, deuce, whatever, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And like, let's say you even qualify for the, like, you can't make the nut low unless there's an ace on board. But if there's an ace on board, how are you going to win the high? You know, like pretty much you're looking to make a wheel and that's probably not going to happen. Um, so, so yeah, look, look, look to play scoopers. Uh, when in doubt, if your hand has an ace in it, that's pretty good. If you're not sure and your hand doesn't have an ace in it, it's almost certainly terrible. 
Um, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I play that. I play that in many times. I mean, I've been trying to only play suited aces uh, when I play. Uh, what do they call it when you have ace deuce three? What are they? It's there's a name a, for it. A, a, ABC. ABC. Okay. So that's that's when I'll go for just like a low if I and then if I have a suited ace with maybe a king or something. Um, but you know. These guys have been playing this like you. They have been playing this for years and years. And I'm a chicken. Mm-hmm. I should I should absolutely bluff more. I think that's... I just, yeah. just wrote the book, but... In life... Wait, so, it's yeah. So, so, so you said, you said uh, you know, maybe there are a few pointers. And I've, I, I sort of said a couple things. Can I give you one more pointer? You can give me a hundred times. <laughs> So uh, th- th- that's well. You know, it's not every not every day. You know, giving giving PLO eight advice to a Dashiell Hammett Prize winner. Uh, <laughs> I, I live a charmed life. I live a. <laughs> I know I started this podcast for a reason. Uh, so think about, Thank you, John. <laughs> think about whether you want your hand to be a multi-way hand or a heads-up hand, and this is also true in hold'em. So, like you know. I mean, you've, you've worked with Andrew, you know there are hands that play better multi-way and there are hands that play better heads up. And that's like really, really true in PLO8. So like, let's say somebody opens for a raise and you're next with a hand like ace, queen, seven, three, or like, you know, ace, queen, jack, seven, something like that. You can consider re-raising. You can consider re-raising. Um, and you might think that it's not a premium hand, and you're right, but you're going to be re-raising your premium hand some, sometimes. And a hand like ace-queen-jack-7, um, you know, the next best thing, or a good thing to do, is to fold that a lot, uh, especially if your ace is not suited, because that's a good hand for making the second best hand, the second best high, and the second best low, which is worth exactly nothing. Uh, but if you play that hand heads up, uh, then your ace seven can be good for low if a low comes. Uh, then your hands where you make one or two good pairs, those are good for the high a lot more often. And uh, especially with hands like three low cards, so like ace, jack, seven, four, that's a hand that you can sometimes throw in a re-raise with or, or really just fold it. But where you don't want to be with that hand is in a big multi-way pot. Because how are you even going to get half the pot, much less the whole thing, uh, with a hand that's like sort of mediocre for high and mediocre for low? So think about whether you want your hand to be a heads-up or multi-way. The if you have like ace-deuce-three, four, A, B, C, D... Especially if you don't have a suited ace, it's, you're going to be like it's going to be really, really hard to win the high. So, like, let's say you're on the button and four people limp. What you don't want to do is raise that hand. Like, you just want to limp behind, especially if your ace is not suited, because you're going to have a really hard time winning the high unless you make a wheel, in which case you might still be chopping. So you don't really have a scooper. On the other hand, you're getting in for a limp, and your hand is so, so good for the low that it's worth the one bet. But what you don't want to do is thin the field and have to play that hand heads up. That's a good multi-way hand. So think about whether you want your hand to be a multi-way hand or a heads-up hand. I'm writing. I'm writing this. Uh, let me ask you something. One of the things I've gotten in trouble with a lot is counting too much on trips in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, like trip kings or something. You think you're so great. And then I've, I've lost so many times with aces, I cannot even begin to tell you. So... Mm-hmm. 
is it better just to, it's hard, when I slow down, I don't get people out, but if I speed up, I can lose my whole stack. It's one of the things that's really bugging me. Yeah, so the first thing is like, don't get married to them. You're allowed to fold, it's really okay. But like those aces hands, like a hand like ace-ace-jack-7, that's a really good example of a hand that's a bad multi-way hand. And like, it looks like a shame because you know, you have aces, but if, if, if you're taking that hand to the flop five ways, how are you going to win the high with one pair? I mean, maybe you make trips. Maybe. Yeah, if, no, I'm talking about if you make trips, then I get wedded to the trips, you see. Ah, and then yeah, somebody the always has, you know, like a, a straight or a flush. or It's so irritating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, everybody gets four cards. The thing about you know four cards—that's six combinations. It's like having six hold. It's not like having two hold of hands, or even like having four hold of hands. It's like having six hold of hands, four cards, six combinations of two cards. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess one thing that Andrew would have told you about you know would have worked with you on in in Hold'em is connecting. Uh, figuring out how scary possibilities are by connecting it to the preflop action. And, um, you know, if it's somebody who needs 9-10 for the straight, then maybe your trips are still good because, like, a lot of bad hands, like, a lot of the hands with 9-10 in them are really, really bad. But if if the straight combination is, is something like ace-deuce or 4-5 or something like that, then, yeah, like, three of a kind, it's a bluff catcher. And... As we've discussed earlier, maybe there's not a lot of bluffing in the game that you're in. <laughs> so, uh, there, there, you know, when there is, it, it irritates everybody no end because there's one guy who will just show you the bluff and he makes everybody crazy. But he, oh, but when when it comes to showdown, that guy always has it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He'll show the bluff when everybody folds, but then when it comes to showdown, I've actually I've beat him in a couple of pots, but only because the cards favored me. Honestly, he's mm-hmm. so good. He's winning so much. But this is good. This is good. This is very good. Yeah. There's actually a, just kind of reading between the lines of, of this game that you're playing in. I expect that you might have a little bit of leverage here. If you, I mean, if you're just enjoying these games, that's that's fine. But, um, I mean, it sounds like you're playing with a lot of people who are you're much more experienced than you are playing these games. Yeah. And you're kind of yeah. doing them a favor playing this game with them. Yeah, giving them my money. That's the big favor. <laughs> right. So like, you can ask for something in return for that. I mean, you can say, I want to play two rounds of Hold'em. Like, if, if Hold'em is really the game that you want to be playing and you're just playing this other stuff because they want to, you know, you can say, I want to do Hold'em every other round. So it's Hold'em, PLO8, Hold'em, Big O, Hold'em, uh, no, PLO8. I wish. I wish, Andrew. No. And you know what? I, I love the the high low games to, to, to be honest i mean like i, I kind of suspected that might be the case <laughs> yeah of course you did you know i love them in fact hold them become so boring after you play two rounds of this other stuff i mean the five card high low is, is is just nuts you know um and there i see position counts so much you know but uh, you know, these guys have been playing together forever, as you can tell from the chat lo- logs. I mean, they are just, <laughs> they know each other, they ins- they know each other well enough to hate each other and insult each other and then go play golf, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. But, yeah. One of you ought to come over here and play just blind. I could cheat. Have you guys play, as you say, masks. Masks. But... <laughs> Yeah. R- right in. T- take 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 notes. Send them in. I'll uh, I'll 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 annotate them and write back to you. 
Well, except I have to tell you something, Nate. See, I am actually famous for another thing, which is not being able to tell a hand of poker. Now, I can't do it. You know, I'll say, well, I was, uh, let's see, I was in the cutoff. No, wait a minute. I was, I was on the button. No, wait, hold it. I'll tell the whole hand and I'll say, oh, no, wait a minute. I was in the big blind. I mean, it's, I drove, it's a joke how I tell hands because I don't remember where I was or, you know. This, this makes life difficult for your coach, Jane. This, you know this about me, Andrew. You know this. I have played, I have dictated whole hands to you and then said, oh, wait a minute. No, I opened. And then you go, oh, no, what are you doing? <laughs> it's very difficult. It's very difficult, yes. You know, at this point in my life, I am not going to be, uh, you know, Vanessa Selps, okay? But I-, I love the game. I love the people I've met through the game. Nate, hi, new acquaintance. Hi. Pleasure. And Andrew, old acquaintance. It's just so fun. You guys are so great. And you're so varied in your interests and personalities and your backgrounds. It's just wonderful for me. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm reminded of what you said, you know, that we um, you know, we never would have met if, if it weren't for poker, which, which, of course, is true. And um, I mean, it, poker really just bring together so many diverse and you know, diverse in every sense of the word. Right. I mean, we say diverse and sort of in the background, we often mean like racial or something like that. And, and there is that. But um, just like different types of people, you know, where it's like in, in, in what world would you and I have crossed paths otherwise? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and we're not no, even we're, we're it's absolutely not even close to the the like strangest combinations of people that you see hanging out on breaks and poker tournaments where you just you're like how do those two people know each other how like how are they hugging right now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly i have played poker with everybody from a supreme court justice to a guy who delivered takeout from a chinese restaurant in a very good one actually in uh somewhere i forget he wasn't from dc and I would never have met those two people. Uh, you know, I discussed Chinese food with him, and, <laughs> and we discussed, uh, and with the justice, we just had fun, and I don't want to out her. So. Yeah, obviously that was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, my money's on Sotomayor because she's also a baseball fan, so that's that's where my money is. But I, you know, no, obviously you can't say it, but that's that's my bet. Just my just bet. just wink if it was. I, I did. I did get a fan letter from. I did get a fan letter from one of them for my book, though, and a congratulatory wow. note. Yeah. Uh, I was very nice. honored. Very honored. But he, I, he's an old friend, actually. So, but where would I have met? You know, as I said, you or you know the people who are in my book. A lot of them are real people in my book, but they're fictionalized, obviously. Yeah. Oh, wait, am I in your book? My, <laughs> you know, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't know whether you made the last pass because I had such a fight with my publisher. Sure, I'm flattered if I but, made any pass. Um, you might, you might be in at the end, at the uh, when I round up people who I've played with. Because um, I then I, I missed a, a couple that I wanted to put in, and I'm sure you were one of them. And um, you have to read the book. Well, yeah, th- th- this is, a, I mean, obviously the, the book has been on my like. You should read this book list, but you know that that's a long list. Um, and 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 telling me that I might be in the book is certainly a good way of <laughs> moving your way yeah, up the list. Yeah, but then if you're not, it's like a bluff. But look, <laughs> the book is you read the book in one day. I'm, 
think people read this book literally in one day because they they think oh i'm just gonna turn and then they can't stop reading and i hear this from everybody i mean because it is a page turner you know and it and, and it looks deceptively light and simple but when you when you see the construct it, it is it is actually something unfolding before your very eyes it's a bluff unfolding before your very eyes and it, and as you get further and further and further into it and there's this huge twist and then another huge twist and you know i think twists only work when when surprise meets inevitability you know you got to be surprised but it also has to be inevitable yeah otherwise it just because feels unfair if you just if you just uh if you just oh, oh you know that if it if, if you go oh my god of course and you just never thought of it then then i've done my job but if the reader the readers are smart and if they're one step ahead of me i am not doing my job where, where do you want people to buy the book amazon if they can get it amazon so fun uh, bluff good, there's another book <laughs> called the called the biggest bluff which is taking up a lot of space <laughs> and it's very good and i gave it a blurb maria konnikova she writes a non-fiction book i'll give her a plug because it's very good we, we just talked to her last week uh which i think all all poker players should read that book yeah she's a doll i had i had dinner with her up in borgata and when she sent me a digital copy i i definitely gave her i called her a brainy cinderella <laughs> because that's what she is and uh and so her book has just come out and she's gotten a lot of press my book is bluff hitchcock and it's fiction ha not really <laughs> but um but i'm sure you talk poker with her because that book is just oh my god that's that book is a poker player's dream yeah uh is there anywhere else you want to send people your personal website or anything like that well you know uh, i i i think uh, jane stanton hitchcock uh dot com i think wikipedia but jane stanton i have a website jane stanton i think there's a link uh i've had some issues with uh the publisher because the poison pen press was sold to source books and we'll see if uh, you know if if it's all going to go through i mean it did go through but they had to delay the publication and everything but amazon is a pretty reliable um source and um and then if you like it people Please write a nice review on Amazon. And now that it's won the award, um, I've had a lot of, you know, a lot more interest in everything because, I mean, the people who've won this award and even been mentioned in this award, uh, I mean, they're not even, I was a nominee in 1992 uh, and I didn't win. Uh, but, I mean, I'm in pretty good company. I mean, there's Michael Connolly and Stephen King and, Margaret Atwood and Walter Mosley and, and you know uh, George Pelicanos. I mean the people. I'm just honored. And my year, uh, my my fellow nominees were Nicholas Meyer and many other brilliant writers. So it was really an honor beyond belief to win this award. And uh, of course, Dashiell Hammett is <laughs> just an absolutely fantastic writer and kind of well, the thin man, the multi. Uh, just, one of my favorite crime writers and the, the statue is great and uh my family obviously went through some real difficult times because of the theft and everything and the statue looks just like the Giacometti that my family had to sell in order to pay taxes so there you go <laughs> that's it that's it in a nutshell <laughs> well uh... i'd rather have the hammock <laughs> 
that's a good i think that's a good place to end it's been it's been a real pleasure to meet you though i hope we stay in touch oh i would love it nate and i hope it's uh, we meet in person it'd be great it'd be great it's uh yeah you're you're always welcome and andrew thank you very much for this uh, it's thank a pleasure. You for I'm, I'm, it was nice to have an excuse to talk to you it was fabulous and uh, love you sweetie and thank you for all your help and advice over the years and uh stay safe both of you, yeah, you okay you, God you as well take care thank you, you. Bye. take care I know you won't, you won't.